Welcome to the 99 Celsius Podcast. I'm your host, Marco Quay. Thanks for tuning in. This week's episode features Susanna Rivera, a strategist with RGA in New York City. Susie combines a talent for visual aesthetics with a sharp knack for strategy. Her acumen has led to projects with Nike, ESPN, Planned Parenthood, and more. Susie always has, and always will be, a trailblazer that defies conformity. I believe that this characteristic is her greatest asset, mainly because it breeds innovation. But there's another side to her journey. She gets frank about her humble beginnings in Newark, New Jersey, shifting her mindset from scarcity to abundance. She now dreams of a future where she can create opportunity for a diverse set of creatives. This is the voice of a visionary. It's been said that the most powerful instrument on this earth is a voice. Pair that with vision, and no mission cannot be accomplished. A complex contrast of childhood, a core for expression, versus the chore of funding expenses. Susanna's attention was split between passion and the security of a pension. Where tensions rise, the eyes of a visionary sees it as time to thrive, time to ride, the tide of the future. Vetting uncharted territory, then trendsetting a path forward for all of us for acknowledgement of the cultures and deeper roots that the masses been following. The accomplishment is that Susie walks into every room as her authentic self and tells the stories of her counterparts that have yet to make it in. I present to you episode four. All right, we back, we back. I got Rutgers University's own, even though she had transferred though. But this is the homie from uh, from back in the Rutgers days. Really excited to have her on and talk about her journey. It's been a trendsetter since I've known her. So uh, with no further ado, would like to introduce my homie, Susanna, a.k.a. Susie Rivera. Welcome to the 99 Celsius Podcast. What's up, y'all? Thank you for having me. My voice is a little raspy, um, so apparently when you're an adult and you drink, that happens a lot, so here I am. <laughs> what happened, man? You shut down the club? Is I that- don't know, man. Like, I don't know what's happening, but now I just, every time I drink, like, my voice is be shot the next morning. Hey, that old age definitely be hitting. I be feeling it in multiple ways. When I go out, I don't bounce back the same way. Literally. <laughs> or do my knees. <laughs> Yeah, oh man. But uh what's up? How how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Recovering, as you can hear. Yeah. But I'm chilling, just enjoying life in Brooklyn. So Wow. What'd you get into? Uh last night. Mm-hmm. Uh just supported a friend who uh she owns like this Instagram page that's really dope. 
Um, it's called uh, New York uh, Novo Yorkinos. And uh, then just after, went out to a bar and just hung out with friends, just caught up. So had a good time. Dope. Sounds good. It's always good to support the people. Your yeah, for sure. And- and like what her doing. page is dope. Definitely recommend people from New York, especially follow it. It's basically an archive of um, Latinx experiences, specifically in New York, which is really dope. It's really just authentic. So, all right. What was the event like? It was cool. It was just um, seeing like these older pictures and like having these really interesting references and and just like the memories that these people shared. It was it was definitely an intimate gathering. So it was cool. Yeah, I feel that. You know, uh, for anybody listening, man, Susie, for as long as I've known her, has always been, like I said in the intro, the trendsetter and the person that I always look to 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 see where to go, what spot's going to be dope, what's going on culturally. I always feel like you're super well connected. So if you're saying that the event is dope, I know that it's definitely the spot to go to um, for sure. So I'm glad to hear that it was a good event. I, I need the invite on the next one. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, so um, again, welcome to the pod. Anytime I do these, I always like to make sure that I give some context to how I know the, my guest right. um, and such. So, um, man, we met, it's been like, that was sophomore year, I think you came to Rutgers, so that was 10 years ago. Damn. Yeah. Getting old. <laughs> I think maybe not, actually, because it was like 2011, I think. Mm. Yeah, you do the math. It's not what I'm here for. <laughs> Real, um, but yeah. So you came to Rutgers, um, Rutgers, New Brunswick. Shout out to Rutgers, and met you uh, early in your academic career. And you know, obviously, you had transferred over, and we'll talk a little bit about your academic journey and such. But um, just from what I remember, I, you know, just a young, young uh, shorty from Newark, New Jersey. Um, you know, coming to get that education. And I just always remember you being really plugged into social issues and, you know, utilizing your voice on campus for whatever injustices or things that you wanted to see through, as well as having the creative side. And I always remember that as well from like being plugged into the best new artists. We definitely bonded on J. Cole. Yeah, I, my, my opinions have changed a bit, but... I know! <laughs> I remember I asked you about the Revenge of the Dreamers and you were like, you look so disappointed. I like, it's because I like, I, like, I like things that change and adapt, and mm-hmm. I feel like he hasn't done that as much as I'd like him to. So. Yeah. But, hey. you know, that's a conversation for another day. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> nah, I feel that, and I, I expect that from, some, from somebody that's a trendsetter and constantly sticking with the times, I feel like God... Oh, man. Yeah, I feel you. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, music taste and just culturally fashion and all that was, was always how we connected and, um, just built a friendship throughout time. And, you know, now you're, you're out in New York and, you know, so whenever I do get the chance to be able to see you, it's always cool to be able to link and such. So, uh, I really appreciate you doing this. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah. Always so much love, like Rutgers fam always, anytime we get together, it's such a good time. Right up. All right. So that's it. Uh, 99 Celsius is all about the journey and understanding where people are currently in life, but before even doing that, to take a step back and walk back down memory lane to get an understanding of the foundations behind the lives that people have built currently. And so, you know, you have a role in strategy now. And 
I think it's going to be a beautiful story to tell about the things you're doing now and the impact that you're having now um, versus maybe where you started off and maybe some of the doubts that you had along the way. But before we even get to the strategy piece, going all the way back to Susie as a youngin, you know, like your childhood days, just out of curiosity, what was life like for you back then and what kind of things were you into? Um, like how far back, like teenage? as far back as you can remember. Okay. I remember, damn, my mom was annoying. That's what I remember. <laughs> but um in the best way possible, um, and with the absolute best intention, she had me in every class like you could think of. I was in I I swam in pool, I was in ballet, like I tried soccer, I was in art classes, I was in tutoring, like any class you can name, I was in it. And my mom was very involved in wanting me to have a better life because my parents are uh, from Guatemala, El Salvador. So I'm first generation, I was the first person in my family born here. Mm. So with that being said, I think my mom was completely focused on making sure I had the resources, the tools, the experiences I needed to make sure that I made the most out of this opportunity, Like, which people don't always realize, but being born in the U.S. is, is an opportunity in itself. So I really feel like my mom definitely helped shape like, my entire life because she was just so active proactive and wanting to make sure I had the best like the best resources that she could give me because of course like they were limited like the resources we had were limited just being from Newark and like not having a family that was born with money um but she did the absolute best she could and that's like the, the very first thing that I remember and that I don't think I'll ever ever forget is your mom, you know, she just like kind of shapes your life. Yeah. Um, I love my dad. Like he definitely tried being there, but you know, dads are always a little bit like leaning back a bit more <laughs> sometimes. Um, and my dad, he just like stuck to soccer and cars. Like that's his thing. But my mom, her thing was like, what is going on in the world? And like, how can I like influence my daughter in a way? Um, so yeah, I just remember just going to absolutely every class imaginable and hating it a lot of the times. Because, you know, you're a kid, you're like, can I just sleep in and watch these Saturday like morning cartoons without yeah. you breathing down my neck? Come on, mom. Um, but she, I had to get up every morning and just like just test things out. So I feel like it enabled me to really fail, first of all, a lot because I failed a lot and hard. What you remember failing at? Uh, soccer. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So, <laughs> I was not, and it might, you know, it just probably killed my dad's like dreams because my dad <laughs> loves soccer. That's all he loves. Um, but even as of lately, I've kind of been playing it just like for fun. And I know I'm not good at it, but just like a different form of exercise. Um, but apparently like this is a story they love to tell is that they bought me my shoes and the minute I kicked, I was like, no, this is not it. Oh, wow. <laughs> like first kick. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. I just was like, this is not for me. Absolutely not. So actually, I ended up staying with ballet for a bit longer. Okay. So, you know, I ended up finding my my thing. But yeah. but I feel like you have to test and try things out that helps in you finding your thing. Um, and you're and I also learned you're just not going to be immediately good at something on the first day. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe for some people that works out, but I just wasn't that person. So... So when you, you were introduced to all of these different areas early on, and you, frankly, you didn't like the fact that you were being forced to do all these things, it, was it clear to you, 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 run, you mentioned having an affinity towards ballet, mm -hmm. at least for, you know, in comparison to the rest of them. 
did it feel like you were choosing ballet in relation to the other activities or was it just a natural like wow like this thing actually captures my attention I really enjoyed ballet actually um I kind of wish I was able to go to a different school um because mine was like a bit hood <laughs> mm. and then after a while my mom like she just couldn't afford it um but I really enjoyed it yeah I think I just I felt creative and like even now such a silly thing that I do but like I'll listen to music and I can like think and like picture choreography in my head so I always wonder like hmm maybe I could have done something with that but for now I'll just keep it here and and yeah so yeah and but it, that's also something that I kind of lead it's weird I just naturally do weird things like that with like a lot of things like I could have been a director I think of music videos in my head I think that's any creative person right like you you have your things and then you just think think through them um so I'm I'm lucky that I was able to find a, a field where I could be creative in and like actually apply it. But you can't be good at everything. You can't have the time to to be involved in everything. That's real. What was it about ballet that made you feel creative? Um, I think that I think I'm I'm just someone who's very like physical with my like in terms of like my body body movement. Um, and I guess music. I've always just had such a love of music. So I guess those things combined. So how far does ballet go for you? Is this like something that you do up to adolescence or is it just a childhood thing that you enjoy? Um, I did it up until I was a teenager, probably like, probably like um, like 16, 17. Yeah, I almost danced like at, at the, there's, there was this uh, ballet company I almost danced for, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I did the Nutcracker at NJ Pack. Oh, NJ Pack. Yeah. Oh. I loved it. I'm learning. That's yeah, crazy. no one, people don't really know that about me. <laughs> this is like, you're deep in the closet right now. Yeah, wow. You was like a little superstar. Nah. Nice. Nah. Nah. But, but you did it. You, but you participated. It. But it was fun and yeah. I enjoyed it. And then I moved on to the next thing. Okay, cool. So were there other glimpses of creativity in the activities that you were doing when you were younger as well? Oh, yeah. Um, I remember the first time I was like, I fell in love with, with art actually like I remember I remember it was like probably like third or fourth grade or something and everyone was was drawing and I drew a hummingbird and I looked at everyone else's and I was like damn I'm good you guys are you know good luck catching up like that's cute have fun and I was like wow I'm really good at this um I don't know where it came out of maybe it was one of the millions of classes my mom put me in but I definitely enjoyed art from like a very early age um and I think I've just always been a creative person. So I think it just aligned with who I am and, and my interest. So you said that it may have been a class that your mom had put you in? Yeah, maybe. What? Which which one? Would you be able to point to maybe one of the ones that it could have been? I'd Like, it's it's such a blur. Yeah. Like, it was literally just, like, years of me hating life because my mom is, like, putting me in everything, everything. In everything. And I'm like, Mom, I just want to watch cartoons and eat cereal Saturday okay. mornings. That's dope. Yeah, my mom found she would like go through newspapers, I guess, and try to find because obviously we it's not like I, I didn't grow up with like tons of money. So they weren't always classes like she paid for. She was just resourceful. Mm. Um, and I'm just realizing I'm actually just processing that now. And I'm realizing that I've been incredibly resourceful in my life. And I think in the job that I do right now, like that's it's such, it's so valuable. Like I know people. I know how to figure answers out. I know how to figure things out. And I guess some of that probably had to do with how my mom like did things growing up. She would just go through newspapers. She would go to the <laughs> county colleges, like, hey, what what free resources are there? 
So I'm laughing right now because y'all, when we were trying to set up for the podcast, we definitely had limited resources here in the room, and you, <laughs> <laughs> you went to work like you got a whole studio set up for us, basically, <laughs> and like you really made it work. I'm, so I'm laughing like that's you, Brooklyn, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Word up. So the fact that your mom was resourceful definitely, I think, has rubbed off on you. But another aspect that, you know, just me knowing you as a person is like just how well-rounded you are now. Like I, I'm not now hearing that your history was groomed in a, in a place where you were getting exposure to all of these different areas. It's not surprising to me now that I know that. I feel like your interests span so many different things now and it makes sense to me. Would you say that that's probably where that started? Oh, for sure. Like if I was just like, if I was a little like six year old in charge of my own life, I would have been watching those cartoons. Mm. So it was definitely my mom, like kind of force feeding me and me like not appreciating it and just being kind of like, can you leave me alone? But now that I look back, I'm like, wow, this shaped me. This is like, why I'm here and why the people I grew up with aren't. That's powerful. So you're the oldest, right? No, I have three brothers. I have two older brothers okay. and one younger brother. Okay, cool. And so do you, do you think that that played any role, your positioning and your family structure? Like being, being a girl or being like the middle, in the middle? Both. Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, my oldest brother... Um, I love him, and if he listens to it, I'm just going to speak the truth. He did not help me at all. like, And I think he was just probably like busy kind of figuring his own thing out, so I don't blame him. But when it came to like FAFSA, and like, I, was, I basically still feel like the oldest child because like, I had no structure, no one really helping me in terms of like figuring out my career, which is why I'm, I'm especially active in my current little brother's um, like him figuring his stuff out. Like, I've been super proactive because I'm like, I know how that felt. It sucked. So let me be there for him because my older brother just was kind of like, I guess, figuring his own stuff out. So do you find yourself also with your little brother encouraging him to live in a diversified way the same way you did? Yeah, with for activities sure. And such? But he's like any other teenager. He's just like, leave me alone. You're uncool. Mm. And like, you know, it's just the way it is. But, but I'd say I'm really active. Like, um even with his college application process, like there was something that he really wanted and he wasn't able to get, but I was there just talking him through it. Like, Hey, that happened to me. I didn't go to the college I wanted to at first, but you have to have like perseverance and persistence for what you want. And that's the only way, like you're, you're going to hear so many no's in life before you hear yeses and you have to be okay with it. Right. 100%. After, matriculating through this period of childhood as you're you're getting all of this different exposure and you you're now realizing it sounds like you're creative. Yeah. What was the first thing that really captivated you from more of a serious standpoint and less of like a hobby? Like ballet was something you enjoyed and it gave you the opportunity to express, but it was it was more of a hobby it sounds like. What was the first thing that and do you remember that moment when you were like, oh, this is something I, I really want to, to dive into? So it was hard because I feel like I fought it the whole way. Oh. I fought it. I have like, I had the craziest cognitive dissonance my entire like upbringing, even up to now, like I'm actually facing it. But you have immigrant parents. So while she wanted me to try new things, no immigrant parent wants their 
you know, they don't want you to be in like a, in a creative space. They want stability. They want like doctors and lawyers. So I feel like the whole time, like why I understood that my mom was trying to get me to try new things. I still felt like underneath she didn't want me to be creative, like to be in that space professionally. So I avoided it and I tried to find like other ways around it always. Mm. Um, so, but real quick. So what was like, so there was an area that you were like, oh, this is it. And I mean, creative is, is broad. Was there a particular area that you that you gravitated towards that that was the piece that you were avoiding? Um, it was probably like like uh, being in school, uh, like drawing, painting. Um, so as like you art, know, art. Yeah, yeah. Okay. As you like, if I could live my life right now with no worries, I would be like in in Costa Rica, but naked on a beach, like painting and just like being an artist, like <laughs> honestly. But. Um, yeah, I, I avoided it a, a lot of the times, but I, I, that's why I, I majored the way I did. Um, my major was psychology and then my minor was visual arts because like that kind of just shows like where I was like, I was kind of devaluing the importance of it by, by minoring in it. Right. But it was my part of my, my way of just kind of like keeping it alive and in my life. Yeah. So wait, real quick, when, when did you notice art was significant for you? Probably college. It was in college. Yeah. So you had glimpses of it in elementary school while you were painting, and yeah. but it wasn't until college that you were like, oh, this is something that I really enjoy. Yeah, because okay. I, I guess in college, that's when you have to like start making these decisions like, mm -hmm. hey, what am I doing for the rest of my life? I don't want to hate it. Right. And I know it won't be math. That's all, right. all I knew. <laughs> so we'll, we'll jump to college in a second. Yeah. What was high school like for you? Um. Oh, man, it, it was rough. <laughs> Why's that? Because I think I'm just like a very naturally like kind of rebellious person. Um, and I just wasn't like school wasn't my thing. It was never my thing. I hated school. It, I just I don't know what it was. I just I feel like perhaps the way they box us in constantly, but that it just doesn't flow with how I am as a person. Um, and like you're making me do math. I hate it here, you know. <laughs> um, but I hated I hated high school, so it was, it was kind of rough. I had also moved outside of Newark, and so I was like a bit outside of my comfort zone. Um, I grew up um, like, yeah, I just grew up where I grew up, and then I moved to Bloomfield, and then I'm like surrounded by these people who like think they're tough, and like people are just being stupid. Like in my opinion, like. I just didn't want to be around it. There was mad drama, like people dating. And like, I just kind of like became not an outcast, but I separated myself from it because I immediately thought that it was just not for me. Um, and I ended up just kind of still hanging out with my friends from Newark. And I think, I think, you know, you just take a teenager outside of their space and you put them somewhere else. And that just creates like this discomfort. Um, so like even my prom, I didn't go to my high school prom. Oh, wow. Yeah, I went to science high school in Newark's prom. I just, I think I just missed my actual home. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I was definitely rebellious the whole time. Like, I just, I don't know. It's just something about high school where it just, it didn't work for me. Like, I'm such a fluid person. I'm, I'm like a creative person. And like, you're making me do things on your terms. And I immediately like, have always questioned authority, I guess. So I was just like, school is stupid. I hate it here. I don't even know how I ended up getting my master's, but <laughs> alas, here, here I am. <laughs> it was that immigrant immigrant pressure. <laughs> yeah. Where did you go to school again? Um, In high, high school? Uh, Bloomfield High School. Okay. But a lot of your friends were at science. Yeah. Okay. So that's why you went there. 
Yeah, basically. Did, like they always joke around. They're like, "Oh no, you went to science. You didn't yo, go to blue I, field." I, I didn't want to say it on on air and like be dumb. That's why I decided to just ask you. Yeah. So, well, before you started alluding to it, I was thinking in my head that you went to science. Yeah. I was like, "Oh yeah, she went to science." Literally, I was there every day after school. So <laughs> you might as <laughs> like, well. Yeah, I would leave school, like take the take the little light rail to science and hang out with my real friends. Yeah. So, did your circumstances at Bloomfield High? create uh any hobbies or extracurricular like, did it create a, an opportunity for an outlet for you at all like I, i'm wondering if you explored i feel like you were doing photography that i did that in college that was in college too yeah. okay so was there, there was there anything uh additional creatively that you explored in high school um honestly no i'm looking back and it was really just like complete rebellion mm. in in me <laughs> Just trying to like find your place and yeah, I was just trying to find my place and I knew that it wasn't there. Yeah. Um. So I think naturally, like, you're just angry all the time. You're like, "Why did you do this to me? I hate it here." And you know how high school kids are just so dramatic. Mm -hmm. They're so dramatic. I always had like I also had really strict parents, um. So I couldn't like go to a football game. I couldn't do anything. So that it just kind of created a cycle where I just kind of really felt alone at that point in time and and. Yeah, I, I kind of wish I turned to art as an outlet, but I think I was just perhaps even depressed. I, I think about that sometimes, and I'm like, I was going through a lot of emotional issues at the time that I don't think my parents knew how to how to deal with. Mm. Um, and I always look back, and I'm like, wow, there's parts I forget. And I think that that's something that happens when you have anxiety and, and part like depression even. Like, you forget. You forget, like, huge moments of time. Um, so I look back at high school and it's like, it's just not a good moment. It's just all aboard. And yeah, I tend to not look back to that. Yeah. They say the human mind has the, that ability to kind of just wipe clean, you know, any traumatic experiences and, you know, dark memories and thoughts and such in order to, it's like a survival mechanism. Yeah. Right. And honestly, like even outside of like, I don't want to talk to everything, but like having immigration come to your door and like take your family members, like think that's going to do things to you, you know? Wow. That's heavy. So moving forward into college, mm -hmm. you go to Keene University. Yeah. Tell because us. I did let me let me clarify. Yeah. I went to Keene University because I did not get, get into Rutgers because I was so bad at school. Oh, okay. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your time at Keene and, and actually, if you don't mind, could you start with what the effect that that may have had on your psyche? The fact that you really wanted to go to a school and you weren't able to because of your academic performance in high school. How did that make you feel? Uh, of course it sucked. Like it wasn't, it wasn't great, but it was also like, what else can I do? I'm just excited to get out of my house mm. um, and just kind of separate myself from my parents and just like do some exploring. So I think like starting college, like even though it was at Keene, it felt so optimistic for me because now it's like I can start my life. Um, I can kind of have a break from like so many of the things that I dealt with, like being at home. Um, and like I said, it's just hard being, especially like the only girl, like an immigrant, like household. So it was just like a really good time in my life. I got into EOF. Um, I remember like finally learning my learning style, which like now that we're talking about it, I'm like, duh, of course you were a visual learner. <laughs> but I think that that's when I actually learned that. And I had like tutors and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, wow, I can remember science stuff now. Like, so that was really like a great time because I was able to just feel like, I can try things like my own way without having my mom like force feed me, you know? So, and I did, I tried so many things there. It sounds like it was a clean slate for you. Yeah. That's what it felt like for sure. 
So is there, whether, was there any revelations or groundbreaking moments for you in that first year of school? I think, um, so I actually wrote for the newsletter there. Um, so I was like bopping around like a little journalist. Wow. Um, but I just realized like how much I enjoy working with people, how much like, I just, I love people. I love understanding them. I love like human behavior. Um, so I just remember like really enjoying that, um, and realizing, Hey, like I'm good with people. I can like do things in this space. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And then also my, my visual arts class, like I just remember being so proud and all my friends being so excited and seeing all the work that I've been doing. And like, I, I had like friends there that were really supporting me through it. So I was just like, wow, this is fun. Like, I like it here. Was this all discovery at that point? Like, how did you, how did you get into an art class and how did you decide to write? Like, were you just taking opportunities on were they things that just kind of fell into your lap no I was I was searching I was like actively pursuing and I think perhaps I just like have always felt busy so I was like hey maybe I should do things but this time it's like on my own terms right Um, so it's like this clean slate new environment and you were searching for what would make you happy yeah exactly and I tried so many things I had so much fun there like I had I tried so many classes and like it was completely different from like my upbringing because I because I was choosing to do it I was choosing to do it and I enjoyed it and it was fun. Like I, I didn't, I, I sucked at something still, but it was still like, I don't care. I'm still going to do it. So, so were you, were you always able to just shrug off that adversity of not doing well? And, um, if you were to fall short, it's like, Oh, you know, I'm not good at that. Um, but it's all right. I can try something else. Or did it have any impact on you psychologically? I think at that time, because I was discovering on my own terms, I was okay with it. Mm. Um, I think the imposter syndrome definitely jumped out later on in life. Okay. Um, and I definitely had to face it. But I think at this point, I was just like trying new things and it was fun. Yeah. And it was on my own terms and it was just a new page for me. Um, and I feel like in a way, I kind of connected with like the younger version of me who like hated all these things because my mom, because like all the issues I constantly faced at home, but like I can do it myself now and... And yeah, I like it. that made it so great. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, like, I don't know if like we have parents listening, but like let kids choose like that, that like would have changed my life completely from the beginning. I feel like, um, so I feel like that's something that I learned. Like if I ever do become a parent, like I definitely want to just like encourage my kids to do the things that they love rather than forcing them. Even though like in this case, I think my mom did it with the absolute best intentions, but um, yeah, I think my life would have been different if I had mom, like a mom who like understood, Hey, like she needs to figure it out on her own, you know? Mm. Yeah. It's a peculiar, you know, uh, situation, right? It's like, you have to strike this happy balance between, cause in a way, right. It was forced, but it also developed this personality trait in you where you are so expansive and you are explorative and you do try new things. But there was a time period for you where it created some animosity. You didn't really like the circumstances of, of feeling like it was forced, right? So it's like that balance of being pushed to do things that are good for you, even if you don't aren't able to realize that it's good in that moment, but not taking it too far where the child is like resentful of it. Right. Now, right? Yeah. It's the pressure too, I think. Pressure like definitely, like I didn't like feeling that pressure when no one else did. Like I, I, oh, it felt like pressure. Like you have to do this. Yeah. Got yeah. It. And I think just like, so my mom cleans houses for like context. So I think I, I just grew up in a place where I'm living the way I'm living. And then I go to these big houses and like, 
their parents aren't working harder than mine, but they're here and they're doing all these things. So I think that that also like immediately had me kind of um, questioning authority. Like, I'm sure you know that about me. I'm like, a, I've always been like a really rebellious person. And I think seeing that I immediately, I immediately was like, life is not fair. Mm-hmm. This sucks. And, and I'm pissed about it. Wow. Did you have a major that you had declared when you went to Keene? Uh, I don't remember. I think when you're first year, don't they? It was definitely like School of Arts and Sciences equivalents. Okay. Um, but I, w- I don't think it was like a specific major. It was probably journalism since I was like kind of taking it seriously. Right. So you're having an amazing time at Keene. Yep. The whole first year, right? Yeah. And you go back for one more semester? Your second year? Sophomore year in the fall, you were at Keene still, right? No. Were you at Rutgers by the... I think I was at Rutgers. Okay. I don't even... I should probably look back. Yeah. (laughs) I think I met you sophomore year, I want to say spring semester. Right. Which is when I thought that you had transferred, but I could be wrong. In any case, it don't matter. (laughs) How did you make your way to Rutgers? Um, I mean, I was at Keene and I was enjoying it, but I still knew that's what I wanted. So like the whole time... I would tell my friends, they would be like, you're going to be gone in a year anyways. And I'm like, yep, I'm about to be out. <laughs> Bye. So I immediately knew, like, I was enjoying my time at Keene. I'm going to make the most of it. I'm paying thousands of dollars, of course. But I always knew in my head, like, oh, no, I'm going to transfer because, like, that's what I wanted. So I'm going to do that. Yeah. So what was Rockers like for you? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so many good times. Met so many dope people. Like, I enjoyed it. Like, Rockers was just... It was everything I would have wanted my college experience to be. Did you declare your major right when you got there or did that take some time? That take that took some time too. Cause like once again, I was still like experiencing that cognitive dissonance. Like, hey, I really want my parents to be proud of me, but like I can't be an artist. Like, what did that lead you to do? So I majored in psychology. Okay. And why psych? Because I felt like it was the closest thing to understanding human behavior. And I, I knew I, I knew I liked people. I knew I under, I liked understanding people. So at one point I even was like, oh, maybe I'll become like a psychologist. Mm. Like, cause you get into it, you know, like you're studying this and you're spending all this time. Um, but I still did minor in art. So it was still something that I was keeping up with um, and like finding like a creative space for myself. Um, and I always kind of brought it in the spaces that, in the organizations I was part of, whether it was like the Latin American Women's Organization, as you know, like I hosted art shows for Omega Phi Beta, which is a sorority I'm in. Like I hosted things regarding art, like wherever I was, I like tried to bring that into my space. Did it feel like you were able or had the space to be able to have a conversation with your loved ones about truly wanting to pursue art at that time? Or did it? Did it just feel like it wasn't even on the table? Yeah, not even on the table. All right. Because it's like, it was like you get to choose. Your, it felt like I would have to choose like my own destruction. Like I could, t- I could very well tell them like, hey, this is what I'm doing, period. Be happy with it. But like then to feel, wow, my parents, like I don't know if they'll ever be proud of me. Like I don't know if I can be successful in this space. Like there's a lot of questions there and it's like, kind of making my parents happy like some people don't want to like admit it but like that was really important to me my parents did all these things like they literally crossed the border by foot Mm. to like have a to create a better space create a a better life for me so like how could I possibly like take that for granted so it was just like an internal conflict for sure but I just knew that I couldn't even 
try to have that conversation. Like, I'm going to make my parents proud, period. So it was really nice when, like, they came came to my job, like, maybe, like, a month ago, and my dad was, like, almost crying. So it was nice. That's what it's all about. Yeah. For sure. Okay, cool. So you're taking art with you through extracurriculars and finding a way to fulfill your passion in that way. And psychology is the full-time, you know, it's your major and, and all of that. Um, what happens during the rest of your time at, at college? Is is that basically the dynamic or is there, um, you know, a, a shifting point for you where maybe you're exploring art and creativity even more than you had been previously? Um, that's a great question. And looking back, I think that I definitely was exploring a lot. Yeah, for sure. I I, I lived at, in Mason Gross, which is the, the uh, School of Arts at one point. Um, and I just enjoyed being there so much. Like, that always felt like home to me. It felt like it, it's where I belong, you mm. know? So I remember even doing, like, other work there just because I just wanted to sit there and be there. Real quick, for context, Mason Gross is the art school, right? Yeah. At, at, uh, at Rutgers, so. And it's on, like, a secluded campus yeah i know it's like it's a bit secluded but like i just liked it i loved it yeah and i mean it was dope yeah yeah that's what i think that's why like i naturally always like just like love art stuff because i always felt like an outlier like an outcast like just different from everyone so like being around other outliers and outcasts made me feel like it was home yeah is this when photography starts as well yeah i mean at this point i was like do i was meddling and like every kind of like art like I was painting I was drawing I was doing film photography I did digital photography um I like I think I did sculpture sculpture (laughs) class for a while like I was like literally like I guess my mom influenced me more than I thought but I was literally doing like any every kind of like I did design like uh, yeah I just loved it yeah did any one of those things stick out more to you no no you just loved it all yeah okay yeah I loved it and I think that I think that that's fair for like any creative person. Like you have like waves. Sometimes I'm like, yo, I love design and I'm doing that for really long. And other times I'm like, I love music. Like I should be a singer. I love this for a really long time, you know? Yeah. And that just happens. I mean, that's, that's how it works for me at least. Yeah. I do remember you launching a business and you were, you had some flyers that you were designing for organizations and people. I remember that because I, I think I came to you to make a flyer for something. I don't even remember that, but I probably did. So, you don't remember like designing flyers? I, I mean, yeah, I definitely remember yeah. designing. I guess it didn't feel like a job at the time. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. But I, you, I think you definitely, you, I think you were charging people a little bit. I, prob- I probably yeah. was. It sounds like me. <laughs> but, I, you know, it was like glow money. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. When you're at college, it's like, great, I'm going to go get a Chipotle bowl yeah, now. Exactly. Like, so, and, and then for me, it also was just like, I was just learning. Like, that's when I learned Photoshop and Illustrator. Mm. Um, and it was like literally through just like, oh, you need a flyer? Okay. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. That's literally like how I've learned Photoshop, like people always ask me because I'm a strategist and I'm like, they're like, how do you know, like a design or whatever? I'm like, YouTube, that's it. Mm-hmm. Like just videos, just trying things out, like period. That was like how I've learned um, the, how I learned how to use it, period. So so does it feel like at this point of where you are, you're exploring all these artistic mediums, is it still just all passion or is there any part of you that's like, how can I make this more of an everyday aspect of my career and life like you're you're about to finish school and go into the real world like 
is there a desire to make this a part of your life? I don't think I was processing it yet because once again, it was like, no, my parents are not going to rock with this. Okay. I'm like, I want to do them proud. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'll become a psychologist. Like that was my, literally that was my thinking. I'm like, oh, I'll do that for now. Okay. So what happens next? Um, I graduate. Um, I'm bartending for a while. Um, and yeah, Don't my parents hated that. that. But that was while I was interning at um, in Museo del Barrio, which is a museum in Harlem. Okay. Um, and I was I was a design intern, um, so I was doing work for them and doing the bartending thing on the side because they weren't really paying much. Um, my parents were not proud, but I was like, I have to do this so I can like get a job. Um, but the museum actually ended up just like not doing well financially, so I actually didn't get an offer. So that sucked. Like, I'm like, I was kind of betting everything on it. Cause I'm like, yeah, I, I could be in the museum space. Like they can make money and it'll be an art. Like that makes sense. Um, but it didn't work out. So that sucked. How are you feeling? Damn, that sucked. Like yeah. this was. But deeper. Um, was there, was there any, any part of you that was starting to question your ability? Oh question, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Especially. What kind of thoughts? It, I mean, like immediately after I actually took a job in education. Oh, yeah, like not a real. I don't really tell people that because I hated that part too. Um, but I was actually an executive assistant for a community a community development institute uh, project in Newark. So on one end, it was like, oh, it's great. I love like Newark and I love giving back. But on the other, I'm like, this has nothing to do with anything I've ever done. Mm. It has nothing to do with psychology or art. Like, what am I doing here? I just need money. Like. I, I couldn't get this uh, museum gig, so like I just need money, period. Right. So I so was, definitely the fear of scarcity and needing, you know, money and such led you to that role. But like, yeah. um, in specifically in relation to your creative ability, in relation to your skill set and such, like, what were the thoughts you were feeling when when the museum closed down? You didn't get the offer. Um, I think it was just like a lot of self doubt. It was a lot of doubting, like what am I doing? Like, I don't know the direction I'm going in yet. Like, I've been enjoying, like, what I've been doing in terms of psychology, visual arts, whatever. Like, I was having fun while I was there, but I wasn't, like, projecting, like, realistically, what am I going to make out of this? Um, so I, I, I guess I always felt kind of, like, one step backwards, you know? Because I feel like people go in high school and they explore so much, and you kind of come out knowing, like, okay, this is what I kind of want to do in college. But I feel like I missed that step because of like all the things that I went through at home. So then that's why college became my time to like really do that exploring. Um, so by the time people were like getting jobs, I'm like, damn, I, I literally just kind of I'm still discovering like what's right for me. So I've always kind of felt like a step behind. Now that you say that, that makes so much sense. That's like, yeah, it sounds exactly spot on that like, you know, that exploration really happened in college for you and. Now you've graduated and you're still like, you know, you're on the tail end of figuring that out. Right. So you take this role that you hate. Are you staying, are you still staying close to art and... I was trying to infuse it like I always do. Like I was like, this, this logo sucks. Can I make it better? <laughs> like I was trying to like find ways, but it was just like super corporate and like hood to be honest. So, and I was just like, okay, no, I can't do this for the rest of my life. And that's when I decided to get my master's because I found this branding program that was vague enough for me to still decide what I actually want to do later on. 
So they talked, they talked about design, but they also talked about like strategy and they also talked about um, like the business aspect. So I was like, let me, let me get a master's in something that's broad enough for me to figure it out while I'm doing it. So I actually remember this period of time, I think right before maybe you make that decision where I, I know you were, there was like a, a window Cause I just remember, like we want, like we want to do things, like oh yeah, let's go, whatever. And you're like, I have to work on my portfolio. Right. Walk me through that process of building out your portfolio, the emotions associated to that process, and and what that was like for you. I think I was just figuring it out. Like I had no idea what I was doing. Like, what's a portfolio? Like, what is it for? What does it look like? I didn't have any references. I had no idea what I was doing. I was literally just like taking pieces of my work and trying to like kind of reflect what I can do in it. But I'm just like, I don't know what they actually want. Like, how do I sell myself? I had no idea, no idea. And now I see my portfolio and I'm like, damn, freaking exquisite. Mm. <laughs> 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 I'm like, it's it's so, I've changed so much. It's yeah. crazy to look back. But yeah, my portfolio was just like little, like it was drawings, things that were like, I was still working on, you know, at just bits and pieces here and there. It was like, I don't know how to sell myself if I don't know my audience. Was that frustrating? Hell yeah. Like, I don't know these people. Like, I don't know, like, like the this branding program. Like, these people that are going to be looking through my work. I don't know if they'll care, if they can understand what I worked on and, and see, like, who I am through that. How do you end up navigating that? I think it was just like a lot of me just like doing what I could with the time that I had. Like, hey, the, I've been working on like little art stuff, like things here and there, like pottery. Like, how do I put this all together? Like, I, it's not like I could create like an entire new portfolio. It was more about like taking things that I've done and finding out how to like sell it. And then I got in. The program you identified that you wanted to do. Yeah. You get into. How does that feel? Oh my God, it felt so good. Yeah, I was like, maybe I can finally understand like how to how to do things, like how to sell myself, how to how to use the things that I love, but also like make money and make my parents proud. Like, so that prep program for me was like, this is my way of like figuring out what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. Mm. It was like the ticket. Yeah, for sure. So, I'm I'm curious to know because there's a period of time where you're there's a lot of like I'm trying to figure it out and I don't I don't really know what I want to do and or where is the best place to go etc and then you get into this program and those are like two very distinct periods of times um so you feel amazing in this new in this new space yeah totally what in particular stands out to you um from a mindset perspective like was there a shift because I'd imagine that confidence was built by getting into the program. Right. Which means that confidence was at some point lower. Yeah. So what what were some of the thoughts and, and um some of the thoughts, perspectives and and um and mindsets that you had associated when associated to to your place when you are not as confident? Um I think it it remained the same. Honestly, I mean, I was still felt lost. I was like one of the only people of color in this space. It was super, like it was great in, in terms of me learning like this entirely new space where I could actually succeed in, but I, I definitely still felt like inferior to everyone. Ah, wait, so interesting. So hold on. So there, there was almost a lack of confidence prior to getting in. Right. 
you get in and it feels amazing. And for a second, it feels like, you know what, I can do this. But starting the program, imposter syndrome begins to kick in. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, everyone went to private school and boarding school and, and you could see it. You know, like when you're, when you're from the hood, you could see it. Like, you know mm. what rich looks like. Yeah. And no one there was like me. Like no one. So how'd you deal with that? I had no choice. Like I had to just do the work. Like I couldn't, I couldn't really, it was, it was hard. It was very emotional. Like even through the program, like it felt so corporate. I'm like, there's more culture, you know, there's more culture. Like, why aren't we talking about that? Um, but I was just kind of doing the work because for reference, I, I actually got a new job when I, when I was doing my master's program. I was a brand coordinator um, at a place called the CDM Group, which is like a pharma advertising agency. Um, so I was working full time, nine to five, and I had class every day, six to 9.30 from uh, Monday to Friday. So I didn't have time to breathe, eat, think, anything. I remember one time, like, trying to swipe my Metro card into my door. Like, I was just, like, exhausted. Wow. Because literally, you're working nine to five, regular job. But on top of that, you have class every day. And then I have to do work, homework, when I get home. And on top of that, it was the first time I moved out of home. I was living in Brooklyn. I was in Bed-Stuy. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of like forced myself to like not have time. I didn't, I did barely socialize. I was exhausted all the time. I didn't, I felt like I didn't have emotions. Like I felt like a robot, but I was just like, I'm just going to do the things. Yeah. I was going to ask. So, I mean, how was mental health for you at this point? It was, it felt like I was working towards like survival. Like it wasn't like, I, it was like pledging. <laughs> <laughs> it was like pledging. That's what it was like. Wow. Yeah, that was like it was harder than pledging. It, that's what it was. Wow. It was insane. I yeah. don't know how I did that. Looking back, um, but this class also, like this uh, course, this uh, master's program, also kind of forces you to look into your emotions. So we actually had a hundred day project. I don't know if you remember that. I do. I hated that project so bad. <laughs> Why? Uh, basically, like I kind of decided to, because it was towards the end of the program and I was feeling like, OK, like I've learned so much. Like, how do I like kind of encompass everything? Um, so I decided to like do a hundred day project on vulnerability, which is something that I've struggled with. Um, so I did a water painting, watercolor painting every day for 100 days. And I wrote something I was vulnerable about on each of those and I like forced myself to post it online on Instagram specifically um so it was hard like damn I'm working full-time I'm going to school full-time working on my thesis and I'm also like putting really putting myself out there so I I feel like everything just kind of like was hitting at once everything was hard but I was just like I have no options like if you don't do this then what will you do like you have to finish yeah do you think that that did anything for you um, I, I do. I feel like I, it made me, it was hard, first of all, um, like facing all these obstacles at once. But I think that when I finished, it was just the sweetest thing I've ever felt ever. Like it was the hardest thing I've ever done and I got through it and it felt amazing. Like it was such a hard thing to deal with. Like so many things, like living on your own, working full-time, going to school uh, full-time, working on your thesis, like putting yourself out there. 
but I got so much love and like encouragement from my friends. Like I, I, just, I even remember like people writing me like handwritten letters because they appreciated it so much. And like, it was just funny because they saw that, but they didn't know like me crying like every other night. <laughs> they didn't see me like, they, they didn't feel the imposter syndrome I constantly felt. They didn't feel like, like, damn, like it was just the hardest thing I've ever done. And like, people didn't see that. They just saw like, oh, she's working on a cute little art project. And she's doing her master's. Yeah. Like, no, it was hard. There's a lot of pain behind that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you had to mention that obtaining your master's degree was the main proponent of being able to help you figure out what you wanted to do full time. Right. So were you able to successfully figure that out while getting your master's? Yeah. Hell yeah. Like, I put so much work into what ended up being my first strategy portfolio. So, so I, you knew it was that it was strategy that yeah okay how yeah. did you discover that? Um, I already had the work done, it was done and it was good. Um, so, but do you have the work done from like a class or? Um, <clears throat> so the way the program worked is, um, it was very infused with like how real life works in strategy. So we had pitches. That's where I did my first pitches, where I learned about agencies, where I learned about like the entire process, because it's a whole new world that if you don't have access to, like there's no way you could learn about these things. Um, but the master's program taught me. So it was like the pitches that I worked on, the projects that I worked on, they were all like things that you would, like we would be solving in strategy. So it was, it was literally like, like working in the work that I do now. Real quick, I want to take a step back. So I believe you said the program was broad enough where you'd be able to, to get an understanding of the area that interests you the most. Right. So was strategy just a piece of the program? Like there were other things you did and strategy is the thing that stuck out? Um, so all of it is really strategy, honestly. Okay. Got so you, you do get into like design thinking and like all these other parts, but like overall the work that you do, like. It's easily a strategy portfolio. Okay, got like, it. Okay. It, it, it. It's immediately a strategy portfolio. Okay. Because you're, 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 the things that you're solving, like you're working with actual agencies and actual brands in real life. Like right. they're not pretend. Right. So you end up like with a body of work. Absolutely. So you graduate. I graduate. Congratulations. Thank you. So <laughs> great. Oh my God. And I quit my job immediately. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And then what happens? And then I go, I go travel through Europe for a couple months. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I come back and then I start shooting my shots. Where'd you shoot? Anywhere, anywhere mm. and everywhere. Because I think, although like I had a better understanding of agencies, like you don't, you don't actually know the landscape. Like you don't know which agencies are actually good. Mm. Like in terms of like, whatever, like what people think, I guess. So I was just shooting my shot everywhere. I was like interviewing. I was just like trying, um, and I actually landed landed something. I landed an internship at an agency that's that's pretty well known that does a lot of work in technology, um, and yeah. And then I got hired immediately after. So awesome! Is that where you are now? Yeah. Okay. So I mean, what was that like? What was the shooting your shot process? Yeah. Oh man, it's like you're you're learning to sell yourself again. Mm -hmm. So I had more to talk about because I'm like, here's my body of work that I put like a year and a half, two years like work into. But um, 
but I think it's still like you still feel blind kind of. Right. Were there any misses? Uh, misses in terms of like. Like you shoot your shot and you miss? Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. Not, yeah. not even a question. Are you kidding me? It took me a while. Yeah. It took me a couple months for how, sure. How was that on the on the mental? That sucked because I'm, I'm just like home and then and then you just I'm like, what do I do? Like, I don't have a job. Like, I just got my master's. I have to pay thousands of dollars, and I can't get a freaking job. So you're starting to feel the pressure financially. Yeah, for sure. I mean, luckily, I was home, so... But still, you know, I'm, like, around my parents, and, like, I think I think being home, although I love my parents, um, I think that pressure is always just kind of, like, it just hasn't been good for me. So my mom, like, being the mom that she is, she would, like, send me jobs. And I'm like, no, mom. Like, I mean, I, w- I would, I, you know, I'd, I wouldn't tell her no. I'd, I'd be like, oh, thanks. Like, I'll apply. But in my head, I'm like, mom, you don't even know what I'm applying for. And I appreciate your effort because my mom, like, she's like me. She just shoots her shot. But she didn't, she didn't really fully understand what I did. So it was, like, not always help, actually helpful. Yeah. So there is some doubt along the way here as well. There is doubt the entire time. Yeah. Everything that I ever do, there is doubt. Yeah. I mean, now I'm at a point where it's like definitely way better. And like, I'm not, I'm just like doing things and not questioning it as much. And I think that that just comes with like practice. Yeah. So I was going to ask. So, I mean, if, if now you're at a place where you're able to, to, to consistently do that, um, before you were, you were able to get to that point. If you had to give some advice to someone who's listening, who's constantly dealing with imposter syndrome, with self-doubt, what worked for you? How are you able to get to a point now? It's not that the doubt doesn't exist, but it's that you've gotten to a place now where you're able to push yourself through. I think I think you just need to get comfortable with no's. Like every other no will lead you closer to a yes. And that's the only way you can really look at it because... Like, I feel like that only happens to the privilege where you get yes, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. If that's not the life you live, then get used to it. And just kind of, you have to kind of build that backbone and just be like, hey, I'm I'm still going to shoot my shot again and again. That's how it works, right? Like, athletes aren't amazing athletes because they just shoot their shot and they miss and then they just go cry about it, even though that's literally what I did <laughs> growing up. <laughs> but I still kept trying things and I kept trying to find my way. I'm really trying to capture and understand, I guess, what the process is like. So you know in your head that you want to care less and shoot more and not allow someone else's opinion or perspective or whatever on your work impact you Mm -hmm. but like what is what is that I mean of course you know you have to you got to just keep trying but like what is that what does that look like like did you was there anything you had to implement in your life were there books that you maybe had to get or uh you know maybe certain cheerleaders in your life that you had like what what kind of helped you get going definitely keeping the right people around like that's so important and it's something that I definitely learned along the way if you keep people around you that want to achieve the same things perhaps even are going through the same struggle but are like going out their way to find that solution like that helps so much it helped me so much like I have you know we were all figuring it out at the end of the day like no one had it all together. I mean, a couple pit people like engineers always, whatever. You guys in your little math and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> 
We haven't figured out either. <laughs> no, but like, you know, as a career, it's yeah, more yeah. stable. It's, it's, it's a bit easier to kind of just like fluidly, like right after college, kind of go into that. But I think especially in the creative space, like especially it's not going to just like fit like a puzzle ever. No, like you have to keep the right people around you yeah. and you kind of have to like know what's going on. And like something I also learned is like closed mouths don't get fed. Mm. If you go to an event, like I was networking a lot. Um, and that's cause like, that's something I'm good at. Like I'm good at like talking to people and like being like, Hey, let's work through this together. I actually remember making a ton of friends through LinkedIn that I'm still friends with now oh, at yeah? that time. Yeah. Um, I remember even like setting up meetings with peers, like, and, and I remember this one girl that, um, that I ended up being really cool with. I like did a little illustration uh, of her as like a thank you. So like, you're my peer, but I appreciate your time. And I like made this little thing for you. Dope. Um, so I was like going out my way to, I, I, wow, I completely forgot I did all these things, but I was like, yeah, this is what I was, what I was <laughs> digging for. I, I was forgot, like, I forgot, yeah. but I was like meeting people all the time and like going to networking events. Like where would people that I, like, I was obsessive. Like I learned, like I learned how to like, so if this agency is here, like their happy hour would be at one of these bars. So maybe I should hang out at these bars. Like mm. I was like obsessively trying to find my way in. So yeah, just like understanding that people's time is valuable um, and like just getting a lot of like ignores from people. Like sometimes they don't hit you back up. And now I know why. Now that I'm on the other side, like your life is busy. You would love to help everyone. But realistically, you can't always do that. So just understand that like some people might actually be like, hey, let's link. Like, come, come here. I got five minutes. And a lot of people will probably ignore you. But it's I don't think it's ever. I mean, maybe some people, but. I think it's rarely malicious. I think it's just like now that you're on the other side, now that I'm on the other side, like we're genuinely like crazy busy. Yeah. So you get into the dream job. I do. You're enjoying it. I do. Tell me a little bit about your time there, what you started off doing. Was there a learning curve when you started and what that process was like for you? Um. Yeah, day one, day one. It was hard because they're like, they look at you and they're like, oh, it's an intern. Like, yeah, I was getting paid and, like, whatever, but they're like, oh, you're an intern. They don't, they don't, I don't feel like they felt like they could trust me. Mm -hmm. um, but you, what's really important at jobs, especially if you're starting off, that I've learned and I wish I knew, is that allies are so important. So important. Like, at least in the advertising, marketing, whatever, creative, like, space, like, you need to have mentorship and you need to have people in your life that are willing to just, like, try and like and like walk you through like how things are um so yeah it was it was hard because like immediately I felt I felt like I wasn't being taken seriously I was in a space that was like at the time it was probably like a thousand people in this office literally a thousand people and very few black and brown faces mm. so I was, I was once again in a very unfamiliar space it was like high school whatever you're comfortable college whatever I found my friends I found my tribe um, but in my master's, I was like the only one, one of the only ones. And then once again, in this corporate space, I'm one of the only ones. Um, and I'm and I'm not just one of the people that like try to hide it. Like, no, I'm Latina. I'm proud. Like, I love that about myself. Like, right. I love being Latina. I love our culture. So, so weird to be in a space where it was like really cold, really frigid. Like, people were like stressed out all the time. And I'm over here, like someone who's like super fluid, super who's like, kind of weird someone who like just clearly doesn't feel doesn't belong there you know like I'm like you guys hired me already so here I am um but I made the most out of my internship 
opportunity i was working with a really hard brand like literally because everyone in agency life like you know which brands suck and i was on like one of the worst brands mm. and i hated it but i would i went any every morning and i was just like i'm gonna do my work and like what can i do how can i be resourceful every morning i would ask everyone on my team like how can i help you like what can i do like i wasn't there waiting for instruction i was like nah i want to be here like i worked i worked a lot my whole life like trying to figure it out and I want to figure these things out too. Like I want to, I want to be here and be helpful. So I think they saw that, and I, that's why I got hired because I was super eager. Like I always look back at my photo ID, and I'm just like, wow, wow. Like I look so damn eager. Yeah, <laughs> like not in a cool way. <laughs> I hate my photo ID. Oh, yeah? You have it. I gotta see. I that. do. I'll show you later. <laughs> I was just laughing about it last week. I'm like, wow, an eager intern. Yeah. Where do you think that that hunger came from? Well, like, because I'm assuming that that wasn't always the the case with you. No, I mean you, you heard it a lot of the time. Yeah. I was like, "Come on, leave me alone. I don't want to do the things." Right. But I think I think once again, I'm someone I need to learn on my own. Like, mm-hmm. I don't like when people because I already have an issue with like authority. You know, if you if you tell me what to do, I don't want to do it. Yeah. I don't want to do it. I'm not gonna do it. So I think because I like figured things out on my own, figured out like doing my masters on my own, like th- these are decisions that I made with no one else. With no one, I mean, my mom, of course, trying to lead me toward the direction a bit, but me saying no, like this is what's gonna be good for me. Um, I think once I was there, I was like, I put in the work, girl. You got, you need to make money, like, mm. and this feels right. Like, I felt like do or die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, if you don't do this, then like, what am I supposed to do after? Like, yeah. I'm, not, I don't want to like be bartending again or anything, like. And I like it. I like the work that I was doing. Well, yeah. it was it was a bit challenging, like the client was, but but I was like, hey, like this is a cool space. Like, yeah. I wanna I wanna get to the top. So let me do the work. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you were doing? Not necessarily specifics of clients and such, but I mean, what does your day to day look like? What kind of stuff are you doing? Yeah. So for people that don't know, I'm a strategist. Um, it's always like a funny thing to like talk to people about because no one actually knows what you do. Um, but from like the beginning to the end, I guess the strategy starts with, are we solving the right problem for the client? Um, because sometimes like if you're, if, if you're already starting off wrong, then you're going to get an answer that doesn't, doesn't actually solve it. Right. Um, so it starts with solving the right problem and then it starts with like tons of research. So I do a lot of like report reading. I do a lot of qualitative, quantitative, like learning, different um like segmentation studies um so just doing a lot of research and kind of impacting the direction that we will go to to reach to solve this problem in a creative way so once I understand like the landscape and what where the decision should be um we do like we write briefs for creative so then this is a place where we get to be a bit more creative and kind of figure out like execution wise like what this could potentially look like so it kind of enables creativity kind of from the very beginning because you kind of have to have your own journey you go through your own journey and you just like put your head down and like read and figure it out um and then you work with creative you brief them on like hey so this is what this problem is but this is the actual problem we're solving like this is a real problem and these are the ways in I think this is the, the most effective way in because of whatever trend is happening whatever industry is happening um, and now let's like, let's talk about how this will impact the creative and then the creative runs with it and they create award-winning work. So a lot of it, I think is being a compass and not a map, you mm. know, it's about leading, making sure we're like solving the right problem, 
um, and leading creative in the right direction. So it's a bit of it's a bit of everything. Right. It's weird because like you deal with the clients, but you also come up with like creative thought starters and like what that could look like. But you also do a ton of research, so like you kind of just jump around and yeah, like and, a drag of all trades. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. So kind of like, yeah, it just it was on brand because I've always just like figured things out with not a lot of like things guiding me. So I think it's just about doing that once again, but in a professional setting. Yeah. How long have you been there again? Uh, like probably a year and a half or so. So within that time frame, is there a particular win or anything that sticks out to you as something you're like super proud of? Yeah, literally like last month. Um, uh, basically leading a Nike pitch with these other two strategists that were, they were black women. That never happened. It was so special. It was yeah. so special. Like I, because like, like I said, it's such a, uh, a white dominated space. So um, for this, this uh, the man who's like my, my manager kind of just giving us the freedom to say, hey, here, this is what we're doing for Nike, like solve this problem. And we got to do like our own process. And he just kind of did like a little bit of oversight, but like just letting us run with it. And just like me using the accumulation of knowledge that I have in this space with Gen Z specifically and sports specifically with like my New York cultural knowledge, like all of it led up to this really amazing piece of work and definitely something that's probably the first piece I'll put in my portfolio moving forward because it just it was so well. And like sometimes like the straight, the strategy will be so good, but the creative doesn't necessarily execute it yeah. all that, all that well. So there's like a disconnect. Um, but in this case, like the creative just like works so good with the strategy. Like it's just, wow, is so good. And yeah, it was just so good. And then just working with the creative, like even doing some copywriting, like with him to make sure that like the, the beautiful, like nuances and tension that we know about New York culture was represented in the creative work. Um, God, it was just like the most, the dopest thing I've ever done. And it just, it just had us realizing like, Hey, like we could do this on our own, like, they, the, the more they allow us to do this, like you start realizing like, hey, black and brown people really have all this culture, like knowledge inside of them. 100%. And, but then you, you go into the creative spaces and it's all white men. Yeah. So it's like, hey, I'm learning, like we could do this on our own. Yeah. So. Do you have thoughts on that? On like. Do what it What it takes to, what it will take and how to either diversify the spaces or to create our own spaces? Yeah, um, I actually lead the Latinx uh, business resource group at my job. Um, if I hadn't done it, then it probably would have just died off. Mm. And I'm also very active in like all the other business resource groups, especially especially Ben, which is the Black Employee Network. Um, and that's just because that's you know they're my friends. Like, mm. why wouldn't I support my friends? Yeah. Um, I think it's about just like trying to put people on. Like, what projects? Like, if you work on a project. Like, for example, at times, like, let's say I have to pick influencers. Like, I'm not picking generic influencers. I'm picking black and brown people. Mm. So just, I think, both in the work and in just, like, trying to get people in the jobs. Like, oh, you want an internship? Hey, they're open. Like, hit me up. Let's come chat. Like, if I feel like you have the the background knowledge or, like, like or at least I'll try to guide them in a direction. Then, hey, yeah, I'll refer you. Why not? Like, I always try to put people on. and I've always tried to do that. Um, and then also just like realizing that the thing that makes you different is like your power, you know, because if I see creative work and 
I'm like, yo, this is weird. Like, this feels racist. Like, I don't like it. Like, if I if I just shut my mouth, then that that goes out into the ether. That affects so many minds and brains. Like, in advertising, we're literally shaping culture. Like, we're doing that. So it's just about being like, hey, like, this is a hard thing to do right now. Like, being the only person in the room, but, like, having to stand and be like, hey, I don't like this. Like, for the for these reasons. Um, so I think... So I think I try to change it on both the macro and micro level. On the macro level is like scale, like how is our work impacting like black and brown people? And on a micro level, like, hey, I'm throwing an event today. Like I'm going to have recruitment there pull up. Yeah. That's dope. I think that there's so much power and a necessity to be very intentional about leveraging the spaces that you're in. And once we are able to navigate <clears throat> and matriculate to the spaces that we'd like to be in, being able to reach and provide, create opportunities for people that look like us to then get into those spaces and such. So it's it's dope to hear, um, you know, as you're putting people on and trying to create space. For that. I always will. It's like, it's just maddening. Literally every day it's maddening. You go into you go into these rooms and it's like, oh, wow, you guys really think these white men are the most creative people on this planet, mm. that they do their job, like, that they're exceptional. That blows my mind. Like, you guys are wrong, are so wrong. And it's like, if you opened your eyes and gave people a shot, someone like me, more if more shots, then the advertising space wouldn't, wouldn't be the way it is today because everyone knows it as, like, male-dominated, white-dominated, mm. like, elitist. Mm. And it is, yeah. it is, in my opinion, but like give people their shots. And then also like not just junior level, you know, not just junior level. Like if you really want to make impact, it has to be people from the top. Right. And that's, that's even, that's a space that's even, it's even less diverse. Yeah. Like I look at my leadership now and I'm like, there's no one there that looks like me that I feel like represents me that I can talk to the way I talk to you, you know? Yeah. So I'm curious to know if if there's a point, a period of time that stands out to you, or if it's the one that we already spoke on. But uh, in the process of water boiling, 100 degrees Celsius is the boiling part, point of water, but at 71 degrees Celsius, that's the first time that you actually begin to see a visual cue of water on the way on its way to boil to boiling. Anything prior to 71, it just looks like still water. But at 71, you start to see really, really small bubbles. And I always like to ask people about, you know, a point, a defining point in their career where that was the first visual cue that they got for themselves. Things around them changed opportunities or situations where they realized, oh, me in this space, it, this is different. This feels different. I'm really making an impact or, you know, I, I'm doing something here in that space. I was curious to know if that was for you the Nike um, pitch or if there was another situation that may have stuck out to you. Um, it's it's probably just like being hired at RGA. Wow. This is such a well-known agency. Like there's a bunch of small shops, whatever, but I'm like, wow, I'm at literally one of the best agencies and they hired me. Like that was like, oh, I'm I'm gonna start something. Like this is a thing. Mm. Like we're gonna make this a thing. Yeah. I think that was like really impactful for me because it's like all this work I've I've accumulated of me, all this work I've I've just like been like shoot, shooting my shot, you know, this whole time just been shooting my shot, and like now it's like now I can focus on something, 
and use like this background knowledge on like all these random things on my work. Yeah. I could see that for sure. Like, you know, when you think about even just like the analogy, right? Everything's 70 and below. It feels like you're you're putting in all this effort and doing things, but there's not always the the vision. Exactly. The physical manifestation of of things. It's just like, hey, I'm putting in all this effort and work, but I don't really know, you know, what it's resulting to. And to be hired at such a, a popular firm and that's doing amazing work. I could see that being the, you know, the thing that really kind of galvanized you. Totally. Yeah. I, I definitely lacked. It was crazy because it's like now that because I'm processing as I'm talking to you and I lacked so much vision for myself. But now I'm like the shaping the vision for all these companies, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I guess sometimes it's hard to do like internally when you, when you have so many elements like happening around you when it's like family issues and then struggling financially and then like you're not hearing the yeses that you want to hear. Like it's hard to have vision because you're just like desperate. You're just desperate for air. You're, you're desperate for like for like the space to to just like be okay. And I think that's especially probably popular for like minority people because like you know like things aren't handed to you. Things aren't like you don't have like a game plan all the time. I still don't have a game plan. All I know is that I'm going to keep trying to get better at my work. Yeah. Um, and who knows where that'll lead me, you yeah. know? So you talk about a vision and uh, this being an important platform for being able to help you create that. Out of curiosity, just thinking out loud, maybe you don't have a, an exact idea, but what does a, you know, your vision look like for this space? Well, right now, I plan on just like, I just want to keep working on my craft. Uh, perhaps it'll lead me to a strategy director. But um, yeah, I think maybe even doing consulting on the side eventually. Um, like something that a lot of people in agency life end up doing is like going to like brand side. Because like with agency life, like it's really crazy. Like you work really long hours. So I, I hear with that with when you go to the brand side, it's a bit more consistent. Mm. Um, so if I stay in the corporate, if I stay in the corporate space, it's me like probably working, working up to strategy director and then going to like maybe a Spotify or Nike or Genius or something, something in like the creative space and just doing my work there. Um, and then if it's like the more non-conventional way, maybe like me and my friends will be like, Hey, we can do this without the help of like all these white people all the time. Like we can do these things. Like why don't, why not do consulting and like, we just do it on our own and have a little LLC but that was never like, it was just crazy because that's not something that I thought I would ever do. Mm. But I think we're at a space, we're in a place in time where so many people are trying. People are, you see people shooting their shot. People are talking about it. And I think that's, that's so impactful because then it just opens the doors, like the, the, it opens the doors of possibility for people thinking of doing their own thing too. Yeah. Like five years ago, I would have never been like, oh, maybe I'll like do consulting or start my own agency with like my friends on the side. I would never think that. And it's because of the stability and because of my parents or whatever. But now that now that that stuff is clear, now that I'm like more confident in what I'm doing um, and I know that I have so much to learn. But now that I'm more confident in that, now that I, I know how to explain to my parents like what I'm doing and how I can I can have like stability in that. Maybe that that is a possibility. Who knows? Um, so it's funny because like I kind of in a way still lack vision for myself, but that's what's been working for me. You know, it's just like 
the no's lead you to shaping what that vision is. Absolutely. So would you say um, that's your 99 Celsius? That's like the, that's, you know, as you're approaching, approaching boiling, the vision of, of working the way up in corporate for yourself and then potentially creating your own institution that is ideally more diverse, more inclusive and representative of, um, you know, of the world and the population that you, you see best fit to work. Like, is, is that kind of the, the end vision? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Beautiful. For now. But like I said, I just be shooting my shots. So we'll see if that changes. Right. Constantly evolving and growing and, and right. such. Yeah. Dope. Well, this was amazing. I feel like you know me so much better now. <laughs> yeah, nah, this is dope. I feel like people, wow, it's like so much stuff that I, I didn't even remember that you had coming out. So I must, that must mean you were doing a good job. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And thank you for, for doing this. Um, I learned a ton. I know that the listeners definitely going to learn a bunch. And hopefully they're following you in your journey and the work that you're doing. Um, could you please give your handles out if you're... If you'd like people yeah, to follow sure. you, yeah, um, sure. Trying to remember Instagram. <laughs> oh my god, I'm like so bad at this. Meanwhile, I network all the time. I just like hand my phone, I guess. Um, but my Instagram is sus .q. My Twitter, I don't remember. But if you need it, just DM me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bet. Well, Susie, thank you, man. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Like I said, I appreciate you. Heavy. You have such a beautiful journey. I'm really proud of you. And just, you know, Proud of you too. I've seen it from, from the jump, you know, from, from being at school and, and working through graduating and figuring it out and to see that you, you made it out on top and you're happy and you're doing your thing is a blessing. So it's inspiring to me and I know it will Aww. be to listeners and such. So Thank congratulations. You. Thank you. All right, bet. All right. Thank you. Peace and love. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of 99 Celsius. Again, I'm your host, Marco Quay. For updates on the pod, follow us on Instagram at 99Celsius, all spelled out. New episodes air each and every Monday. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share the pod with others. Until next time.